Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, and I am your host for the podcast. And today I am excited to welcome you to another interview episode of the podcast as part of our Career Change After 40 interview series. And today we are going to be talking with Deb Peters to find out about her story of what I reckon is significant change from what she used to do to what she does now. Hello, Deb. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Chandra. How are you? I'm very well, and I am excited to get into your story and to hear uh, how you got to where you are now. Knowing that this podcast series is about sharing a range of different stories of different women's approach and reasons for making significant career change, particularly to work for themselves after the age of 40. Because to be quite honest, I got a bit cranky with hearing too many women that were, you know, over, over 40 saying, oh, I've got always had this idea or I've always wanted to be an interior designer or whatever their dream was, but it's too late for me now. And I tell you, I just cracked the shits basically and, <laughs> and decided I'm going to find and share a whole lot of stories so that we can get rid of that myth that it's too late by the time you're 40. So I'm excited about getting into and finding about uh, and finding out about your story. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll, honestly, um, I think you're never too old. No. You're never too old to make a change. If you want to do it, you just do it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where I think, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it as I find out more about your uh, approach and your story. But I think that often when people are in that place of saying, oh, it's too late now, that really it's just uncertainty, which I think is natural when you are considering making a significant change. And for me, the big thing is that uncertainty or nervousness is not a reason to not explore something. And so that's, again, part of why I want to share these stories, to give more and more evidence of that other people perhaps felt uncertain and didn't have all the answers either. And there's still ways that you can make that transition and, and there's a lot of good on the other side of that uncertainty too. So I'm sure you will have your your version and your flavour of um, the things that you were perhaps concerned about, which we'll get into. But just so that we can have a bit of context, what is it that you used to do for work and what do you do now? So I was an early childhood teacher. So it spanned probably about 28 years in total. Oh, wow. Um, I think. I worked in uh, like teaching the littlies through preschool, early childhood, um, before and after school care, things like that. And then I also went into um, teaching adults, so teaching diploma, cert three and whatnot. And now I'm actually in the beauty industry. So I actually purchased a hair and beauty salon and which I own, manage, and I'm actually the beauty therapist as well. Are you wearing every hat? Yep. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I love the sound of, you know, just 
the little nuggets that you have just shared with us then. Firstly, I want to just check with you, 28 years in early childhood, I imagine, and I don't have kids, but I have many, many, many nieces and nephews. And so, you know, grew up in a big family. I'm one of six kids. And so I feel like, and also my youngest sister is 15 years younger than me. So I felt like I almost was like a mum to her because when she was growing up, you know, there was a baby around and I was a a teenager. Uh, And so I have some understanding and, and awareness of what it's like looking after kids but I can't imagine doing it as my job and I really, really, really can't imagine doing it for 28 years. Was it? I think I was crazy because I do that, but I also have five children of my own. Deb, you're killing me. Seriously. <laughs> I'm now just creating a nice picture in my head of you. It's you as just being like this perfect mother figure that you were just born to look after and nurture amazing kids. Oh, I don't know. Look, they're all doing okay, I have to admit. They range from my girls are 11 and 16 and my boys are 20, 25 and 26. Um, But, yeah, they're all doing pretty well. I I can't complain. (laughs) Great. I think that means that you just get the double tick from motherhood. Uh, Look, you've just got to do what you have to, I suppose. Yeah. I I did a good 10 years of that on my own as well. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know. I guess my my whole thoughts were as long as they were happy and healthy along the way, then that's all that mattered and as long as I could provide for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, wow. So um, I have a lot of admiration for you, Deb. And 28 years in industry, obviously there was a lot about it that you must have liked to stay for that long. Is it that you made kind of like a two-step move from – the early childhood into the TAFE teaching and then into the beauty salon or was it kind of more of a, a meld? How did, how did it all happen? Oh, it's kind of interesting. So about 20 years ago when I had my third child, I actually I, I did beauty back then as well. So I actually had a home-based um, nail business and I used to do wedding makeups. Mm-hmm. So my every weekend was basically full of doing wedding makeups and I absolutely loved it but it wasn't practical for having the kids so I actually went back to teaching because it just everything fell into place and blended around the kids at school the kids that I had at home um so yeah that's how that's how that worked and I had amazing mentors and and TAFE teachers myself and I was like well I'm going to do that one day so I did right went on to do that you know studied did did my uni degree and all that kind of stuff as well and um yeah so that was kind of that was the early childhood stage of things and then 2018 I think it was I was just like no I'm done with this the industry's changing yeah Um, I was just I, I wasn't happy anymore I didn't look forward to going to work anymore um it's like the passion was just gone mm now, it took me six months to decide what I was going to do and then I was like, do you know what, let's just go back to beauty. So that's what I did. I ended up upskilling. So I um, ended up doing my diploma through Ella Bache, mm-hmm. which was an amazing experience in itself. It was really good to, um, yeah, I guess upskill yeah. and, and learn. Because so. I imagine quite a bit 
would have changed in the time where you were dedicated in the early childhood work in the beauty industry in terms of just, I guess, knowledge and research and product development. And so is that part of the upskilling or were you also learning to do different things? Yes, yeah, so there was a lot of things like in relation to, to, you know, the skin and, you know, all your basic fundamentals, I suppose. Yeah, so um, just, just brushing up on all, all the previous things that I used to do, like, you know, the makeups, the tintings, the waxings and facials and things. And then I've upskilled and did um, more treatments like massage and body treatments and that as well, just so I could extend on what I was going to offer. Yeah, great. So, so that... You got to the point and, and, you know, thank you for being honest about getting to that point where an industry that you had loved for a long time and enjoyed, you got to a point for various reasons where it just really wasn't making you happy anymore and making that decision to make a change. And you said that it took you six months to decide. I think it's really common for people in that situation to spend about six to 12 months, if not longer for some people, to actually get some clarity about what they want to do and put some sort of plan in place. But what sort of things were you doing in order to try and figure that out? Were you just kind of thinking about it for yourself? Were you talking with others or did you do anything in particular that helped you figure it out? It was a bit of an interesting thing. I kind of, it was more about me and what made me happy and what I wanted or what I thought would make me happy. So it was very, very selfish. Just, you know, it was yes. all about me. Good on you. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and funnily enough, I actually didn't talk to anybody about it except for my partner. Um, and no he, one. he's always been amazingly supportive, but it wasn't until I'd actually probably been, I don't know, a few months into the training and everything that I actually started to tell everyone, hey, guess what? This is what I'm doing. (laughs) And so what do you think it was about the situation that that made you hold back? Would would you normally be sharing this? Are you normally a pretty private person or or was there something that was making you hold back from telling anyone you were doing it? Yeah, I was shitting myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's the technical term, isn't it? Yep. Seriously, it was, it was fear. It was complete fear. What if what if I fail at this? What if you know? What if this doesn't work out? What if I I'm not good at this anymore? What yeah. if all these what ifs came to mind? Yeah, sorry. So then, when a bit interesting, yeah. So when you did put your big girl shoes on and uh, yeah. start telling other people, hey, this is what I'm doing now. So you were doing the training and were you still working at that stage and doing the training? I was, yeah. Yeah, right. So that, you know, okay, so you're doing that on the, on the side and then you started telling people about it. How did people respond? You said your partner has always been really supportive. That's awesome. But how did other people in your life react when you said that you were going to go back to the beauty industry? It was a lot of shock and a lot of surprise because um, and quite a number of people that I worked with had no idea of what I'd done 20 odd years ago. Yes, it was a past life. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. So, um, but everyone was just amazing and really supportive. So I actually have um, a number of people that I used to work with that are actually clients in my salon now, so that's really nice. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And it is actually quite common that that can happen is that when, when you make, you know, a change like you have, 
that people that have known you from one context just get excited about, oh, now I can just, I can come and be a client or work with you in this capacity. So um, that can actually be like a a bit of a network that you can leverage as well. So you did the training and then had you decided at that point once you obviously had done a little bit of the training and decided that you weren't going to completely stuff this up and (laughs) that it was a good path to go down, had you decided then that you wanted to work for yourself or were you considering at any stage that you'd just get your qualifications um, spruced up again and then potentially go and get a job working for someone else? Like what was your thinking around that? Um, It was always... It was always a definite that I was going to work for myself, but I planned to go and work for somebody else first, get back in the industry a lot more, you uh-huh. know, really deep into it, um, and, and then take the leap later on. So the um, it was interesting because I was looking at purchasing a salon in Sydney mm-hmm. and then I was researching something on the internet and a place came up like five minutes from home and um, my partner's just like, yeah, he said go for it. I think he should. So I used all my savings and I bought it. <laughs> so, so hang on. You were, you were intending to buy a business, a beauty business in Sydney. Yeah. Accidentally stumbled on one that was in your local area. Yeah. And even though you had – I assume this was like early research because you said that you were intending to sort of go and work for someone was, else. Yes, that was the plan. Was early. This no, is... no business, no business plan or anything. It was early. <laughs> <laughs> and then because the business, do you think you you jumped at it because it was in your local area, or did you just sort of get excited, or how how do you sort of go from oh, I'm going to work for someone else for a little while and then look to oh no where's my credit card I'll buy a business today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just the potential that I saw in the place. Um, it did excite me, and mm. also I think just having that that push and that support from mum from my other half going you know yeah I think you should do it. I think yeah. you should do it. Um, and yeah, so, and um, I have to admit, I didn't get a business loan or anything. Um, so I think I, that made me struggle a little bit financially, Yeah. but I was, I was determined I was going to do it no matter what. So, and I'm still standing after COVID, so that's good. <laughs> oh, Deb, it's amazing. Cause wh- when did you buy the business? Oh, 18 months ago. Yeah. So, you know, and we know the awful stats that they spout around about how many businesses fail within the first two years or three years or whatever it is and so uh, for you to have bought a business off your own steam completely and to be getting it you know up and running and happening the way that you want to and then to be having all the things that we've been hit with in the last six to 12 months is an absolute credit to you so when you bought the business presumably there was an existing clientele what were some of the the challenges that you faced you've touched on the financial and we're, we're going to definitely explore that but what were some of the the early challenges that you remember facing when you realized okay I'm, I've now bought this business and I'm moving into working for myself the challenge for me was actually building up clientele because it was they had no one there working in beauty. It was just hair. Ah. To actually introduce beauty into it and build up a, a beauty clientele, um, that was my challenge. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I wasn't sure with some businesses like that, you know, if they've already got kind of, I guess, a list of clients that can sometimes give you a nice run up, even though I think it's quite common that when there is a business uh, sale, even just a change of, you know, in-house or front of house management, there can be a shift in clientele where the, you know, the vibe is just slightly different or whatever, but it's, you know, for you um, having to start from scratch sometimes is a good thing, but also it's nice to have had a bit of a leg up if you, if you could. Yeah. So, so that, and that piece around getting clients is actually one of the biggest fears that I hear from women when they're thinking about starting their own business where will I get clients from will I get enough clients and then a whole raft of other other things so you're not alone with with that particular challenge yeah definitely what about any other sort of steep learning curves you said that you didn't have a business plan you just had it I imagine you had a bit of a business vision what was it that you thought that you were working towards what did you want to create with the business so I guess it's still a goal I, I want it to kind of um Obviously, I'll still always be, you know, be working on it and working in it, mm-hmm. but I just want it to, I don't know, I don't know whether easier is the right word or, or not, but um, be able to kind of take a bit of a backseat. Mm-hmm. And I, I would eventually like to be able to put on another beauty therapist. Like we've got two rooms I work out of one at the moment and the other one we're just using as a staff room, so for the hairdresser and I. Um, I'd eventually like to have that up and running as well and get somebody else in and because there's so much potential and it is a really beautiful space too so great so you can see that future growth of being able to hopefully build things up to be able to get someone else in and share the load a little bit yeah fantastic yeah yeah, definitely yeah awesome and so how have you gone about getting clients and building up that clientele have there been any particular marketing strategies that you have been trying um, so I tend to use Facebook and Instagram a lot, mm-hmm. um, but also I've probably got a big chunk of my clientele via word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and like we use amazing natural organic products with skin juice as well. So that's a... Skin juice. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah so they're a, um, a local organization um, and they're all just, yeah, they're, they're natural organic skincare products that, that work. So... You know, the clients just absolutely adore the fragrances and the, the feel of it on their skin and the results and everything. So Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's good. And the, with, with a, a local business like yours where someone has to physically come to you, those kinds of things, like the actual experience when somebody comes for a treatment, it does very much involve, I think, all of the five senses so much more than a lot of online businesses that have a whole different range of challenges potentially. But I think for a a bricks and mortar business, you have both advantages and disadvantages. What's your view around what you think has been an advantage perhaps of having bought a business rather than starting from scratch? Um, I guess in, in some ways and something that we, we hear quite often um, is like the physical changes of the salon for starters. So, you know, we constantly get clients walk in saying about how they love the vibe, they love the freshness and the cleanliness of the salon. Mm-hmm. We've got white tiles and, like, you know, you think of hair and stuff like that and, and they're always just blown away by how clean it looks. Um, 
the, the girls call me a bit of a cleaning Nazi, but that's okay. <laughs> you have minimum standards and they must be met. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's good to good to have people in the salon that kind of, you know, work really well towards that as well and respect that. Yes. To add to what you've just said there, I think when I imagine, and to be honest, because of COVID, I actually haven't had a beauty treatment for a little while. Um, but when I think about going and having some kind of treatment done, for me, it seems like it's such a gift to give myself that time. And so I want the whole experience. I want to feel like I walk into a space and visually it does look beautiful and it looks clean because that reassures me about the standard of, of care and attention. I am also a big one for how things smell. So when you talk about these beautiful local, natural, organic products that you know smell beautiful, it, it's a whole sensory experience and I feel like with so much of our lives, even more so in the last few months going online, when you can create a beautiful physical experience, I think that is something that word of mouth will do amazing things for you. So I think that's really great that you've done that. And also I love the fact that you're supporting another local business through the products that you're using. Because I think that's another thing that people are becoming more and more aware of, of, you know, where their dollars are going and whether, you know, are we supporting local Australian businesses, Australian-made products. So I think that's another great selling point for you. And what about yeah. the the social media side of things? You mentioned that you you do um, Facebook and Instagram. Have you always been someone that's pretty socially savvy, or was that a learning curve for you? Oh, it's been a bit of a learning curve, especially you know doing the whole kind of oh, the analytics and getting the you know the target audience. And I think I've still got a lot to learn in that aspect. But yes, slowly, slowly getting there. Yeah. It's a bit of a moving feast, I think, social media. I listened to a podcast a while ago where a social media expert was saying that trying to keep up and get across all of the latest and greatest with social media is like trying to take a sip of water from a fire hydrant. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree with that one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then, and then I threw myself another challenge while we were off on COVID, you know, not being able to work for 10 weeks. I actually created a website from scratch for the business. So that was a bit of fun. Oh, wow. Good on yeah, you. Yeah. And again, is that something you've had any experience in before? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to go back to the version of you, the past self, where you were still working in early childhood, yeah. Could could you have imagined yourself doing some of the things that you have done in your business? Probably not. No. Like I, I think looking back at sometimes I don't think I would have even considered where I to be where I am today, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, I always had an inkling of wanting my own business and stuff like that, you know, and, and wanting to do something, but actually making it a reality. There was probably, you know, many, many years where I thought, well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's really interesting to look back. And it's one of the things that I've enjoyed about this interview series is giving the opportunity for you and, and the other guests to look back and remember and realize how far you have come and you know the things that 
you have made a reality and the things that you're still heading towards because I think we it's you know it can be rare for us to give ourselves that that gift of perspective most definitely and that that's something that I, I try to say to everyone now um, like you know you'll you'll hear somebody say oh well you know oh, I've only done this or I've only done that. And you try and get them to, to reflect back on a certain amount of time. And it's like, but, hey, you know, look what you've achieved in the process. Yes. Yeah. So I think we're all a bit too hard on ourselves sometimes. So to, to look back and reflect on what we have achieved is pretty huge. Yeah, it is. And, and you're so right about how hard we can be on ourselves about making judgments and assumptions about how far down the path we should be or certain targets that we set for ourselves that you know or deadlines and to be very critical of not meeting them because I think we come into um, having our own business with the same mindset as an employee where there's tends to be a whole range of different resources and team and departments and you know all those kinds of things whereas when you are creating your own thing and there's at the beginning there's just you there is only so much that one person can do in the time that they have available and also there's a whole skill set that we forget to give credit for you're not born knowing how to run a business so there's a lot to learn right there's heaps to learn and and you know I'm still learning I've still got so much to learn but I think the important thing is is to set that time aside every week to at least you know learn something new or if you think of something jot it down and then go back to it at a later stage yes and just know that that nothing's ever not impossible did that did that did that come out right it's never ever yeah (laughs) you you can do it no matter what you know don't don't ever think that anything is is impossible (laughs) yeah I think um I haven't read it but I've heard a few people talk about um Marie Forleo who's a very successful uh entrepreneur in the states and her latest book is called everything is figure outable oh yes Yes. so I think that's what you're meaning is that nothing (laughs) is impossible everything's figure about figure outable So when you think back to making that decision, so you're doing the course and and the training and then going, okay, I'm I'm going to at one stage have my own business. Yeah. What were some of the fears that you think that you remember having? Oh, probably one of the biggest ones was um, the financials, so being able to afford to actually, you know, jump in and, and purchase a place to start with. Yeah. Um, also, I guess, you know, location, um, ongoing running costs, staff, um, yeah. and all, all that kind of stuff, really. It was like, it was all a fear. And, you know, the whole thing of what if it doesn't work out? What if it's just a flop? Then mm. what am I going to do? Yeah. And, and so you had those fears. And you still bought a business anyway. What do you think was driving you to do that? Oh, I just had to step step past those fears. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know what? It's a fear. I can't let it hold me back. I've just got to go. You've just you've got to change your mindset. It, it, mindset is just huge for everything. Yeah, and it is right. a, a common theme that um, comes up in these uh, interviews where I think 
people get to a point where they realize the influence of mindset um and i'm not sure how aware people are when they're early in the journey about the influence of mindset but i think it's a really important one for people to hear that you know there's there's physical things to be done there's a to-do list of actions to be taken and you know whether it's things to be purchased or or whatever it might be and there's a whole nother piece of work which has got nothing to do with anything outside of your own head and that if you're going to go into business in whether it's a a physical bricks and mortar business or it's an online business or it's a uh, consulting services business your mindset is going to play a huge part. I think they say 80% of your success is influenced by your mindset. Mm, most definitely. Most definitely. Mm. And so, I think the other thing is too is like reach out. There, mm. There's so many people out there that, um, you know, that have the, the ability to, ability to, to help you and to, to guide you and um you know I guess the, the whole thing before um as we were saying is we we don't always know everything there's always some things to learn and yeah. it's okay to to outsource things or to you know seek ideas and assistance from somebody else yeah the outsourcing one is a really interesting one linking back to the financial fears that are very common for people to have especially women when they've you know perhaps been in a successful career for some time, they're used to a certain level of, of regular income coming in and then thinking about working for themselves and starting a business and the, there's all the front-end costs, particularly if you're buying a business or setting up a business. But then there's all the ongoing things too. When it comes to realising there's certain things that you're not great at and asking yourself, you know, maybe I should outsource this to someone else. How did you approach that with the fact that when finances are limited when you're first starting out and then having to consider paying somebody else to do something, did you let go of certain tasks pretty quickly or did you try and do it yourself or has it been a bit of a combo? Oh, because I'm really stubborn. I definitely tried to do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) you're very honest about yourself I'm not sure you might be being a bit harsh I'm the stubborn control freak Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hey you had five kids you have to have be in the the control seat otherwise it's chaos so then what what were some of the the things that you did get to a point where you have outsourced or are you still pretty much Um, trying to manage things yourself still pretty much doing everything at the moment Mm -hmm. um however like you know as far as the salon goes and you know I don't know I guess cleaning and and maintaining it and whatnot um I have have an amazing hairdresser Mm -hmm. that works in the salon as well so um we do a lot of that stuff together we throw a lot of ideas off each other and um, so she's been a mass massive help as far as that goes um and I guess one of the things too, not that it's it's not outsourcing, but 
sometimes you have this picture in your head that you you want all this amazing stuff, you want to do all these different things and you want it now. It's okay just to go, do you know what? I'm not going to have it all now. We'll just gradually work and build it. So it's then a matter of, you know, creating a plan and work out what's most important to you, what you want first and then work through that process. Yeah, such a great attitude to take because I think sometimes we can see this picture in our minds of what the business can be one day Mm. and we want it now. I certainly fall into that category where it's like, oh, no, you know, I, I want this and this and this. And, you know, one of my mentors often is saying to me, you can have it all. You just can't have it all right now. And, and so it is it is one of those things potentially of being a bit more strategic about where you focus your, your time, energy and resources and to, to build a solid foundation rather than using the fact that if it can't look a certain way, then you're not even going to get started but yeah. to understand that there's there's levels and layers that you will go through in your business and that when you're in the foundation building stage, then you've got to focus on those things. Have the longer-term vision in mind because I'm a big believer that when you can have that longer-term vision in mind, it will help inform the choices that you make now about what you invest time and energy into and what you don't or what you put on that you know later list because otherwise yeah. you, know, you can just – wig yourself out or convince yourself that oh it's um it's too early for me to you know start getting clients or whatever uh you know I really want that second room to be cleared out and painted and right rah, but I don't have the money right now and so I'm not even going to open the doors for the other room do, do you know what I mean like people can yeah. can use those sorts of things to hold themselves back so I think it's a great yeah. approach that you've got around just saying what's most important to me right now um and investing in that yeah, no, it's been, um, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. And is there anything that you think, looking back, that you wish that you knew or did earlier? Oh, look, I think a lot of stress probably would have been um, eliminated if I did have a business plan rather than just kind of go gung-ho into the business with, like obviously I had this amazing plan and vision and everything in my head and all these yep. ideas, yep. You know, bits of paper here and there or files on the computer, but um, actually putting it into a plan and, um, you know, I'm at the process at the moment of kind of perfecting a 90-day plan and a five-year plan. Great. <laughs> it was always like, you know, oh, I've got to do this. I've got, and it's just like, yeah, one day I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I, I think it's something that, People tend to fall, I reckon, into one of two camps. One is they're real planners and so they go deep into the business planning mode and they end up with these really exhaustive documents that I think for some people and some businesses they can be very useful but I also feel like when you're first starting out there's a lot that you don't know and so I guess I have a question about how much detail is a useful detail versus procrastinating over planning. Um, so that's one camp people fall into. And then the other camp I think are people that go, oh, yeah, that probably would be a good idea, but I'm probably not going to do it or one day I'll get to it. And I think yeah. most people fall into the second category. Yeah. Oh, look, it took me it took me a good six months before I even – had something half decent on paper yeah. as, far, as far as what would even look 
kind of like a business plan, I suppose. Yeah. But my thing now is it's forever changing because I am quite flexible with it. Yeah. Um, as long as I've got the general, um, I don't know, vision still there, I suppose. But yep. I have changed different things along the way. So, you know, different treatments and there might have been things that, yeah, really didn't do that well. So I took them off and, you know, have added other treatments and so on. So yeah, and flexibility is huge. Exactly. And I think that's another great thing, to, you know, for people to be aware of that if they don't have all the answers straight away to, to not use that as a reason to hold back because things will pivot and change as you get started and you work with certain products or you work with certain clients and you'll get new ideas and there'll be things that you'll try that you don't like or you don't enjoy doing. And it's like, well, actually, this is your business, so you don't have to do it all um, yeah. in, instead of feeling like, oh, I've, I've committed to, to saying that I'm offering this service. I have to do it for the rest of my life, even though, you know, I'd rather stick a pin in myself. Do you know what I mean? Like I think it's, it's you know, important to remember that, that, as you said, the flexibility that you give yourself to pivot and change. You don't want to be chopping and changing too much too often however I think it's really healthy for businesses to perhaps take that experimental approach and review whether it's every 90 days or it's annual planning or whatever it might the rhythm might be but to bring that healthy level of objectivity to what's happening in the business to refine as you get more experience yeah definitely yeah so Deb if people are wanting to get in touch with you and come and try some of these delightful treatments that you do with these gorgeous natural organic nice smelling products that you have uh how do they find you how do they get in touch okay so we're um on facebook as matari hair and beauty we're on instagram as deb peters matari beauty and we also have a website matarihairbeauty.com fantastic and of course via the salon which is in tukli on the central coast (laughs) great so they can drive by or they can head online and we will make sure we include the links to those social platforms and your website so people can come and uh and check it out do you find that you mostly get locals or if people do people come from further away or if they're you know on a mini break yeah, we actually, we get a mix. So we have some people that come up this way regularly for holidays, so they always book in. Mm-hmm. Um, got clients that actually work. I've got one um, client that works in central New South Wales. Mm-hmm. So every time she's on the coast, she, she books before she um, she heads down to make sure that she gets her appointment yes. booked in. Yep. Um, and then I've got some other clients that are even like Sydney based that purchase products through me online and stuff as well. So yeah. Nice combo. That's good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So Deb, any other final thoughts or insights, whether, you know, you think back to before you made the decision to buy the business or, um, insights and tips that you think could be useful for someone who perhaps has been in a career that is just no longer working for them or they're just not happy anymore and they're thinking about making a change to do their own thing any other words of advice from you um definitely just do it if you um you know if you have a vision follow it go with it um Look, at the end of the day, it's either going to work or it's not going to work or you might need a little bit of extra, you know, push and support to to kind of get to where you want to be. 
Um, just know that there's plenty of people out there that can help you. I have two business mentors that are absolutely amazing. Great. I was um, going to ask you about that, like what sort of support um, you have gotten from, from others around you. Yeah, so I've got um, – I have two, two ladies. One's in the industry and one isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been absolutely amazing just to, I guess, from a business perspective, um, sometimes even just as just as a friend, basically, just to kind of pull me in, into line when I'm having a meltdown or something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yep. It's like, hey, help me. <laughs> um, because sometimes too, like friends that don't have businesses don't quite understand as opposed to somebody that does. I mean, and that's nothing against them, but it's just seeing things from different perspectives. Yeah, completely. And and I think that's that's something that's also really common is that you know not a lot of people have a huge network of friends or family that own their own business. And so as much as they can love you and kind of want you to do well, they don't understand the same challenges about what why, what do you mean you're trying to build your own website? Like, you know, we've got an IT department or whatever. It's, it's just a different kind of world. And so I think it is one of those things that can be great to, to seek out those other support networks and to be okay with that. Yeah, most definitely. And also too, I think um, don't, don't ever get into the trap that you can't afford something. Um, look at all the different grants and things that are available through the government, different organisations, different options for business loans and things that are available out there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, seriously, just just do it. Just go for it. Yeah. The whole can't afford it line is something that I could definitely talk a lot about because it's language that's really disempowering from a, a money mindset point of view but we're not that'll be a whole nother podcast episode um but it is it's one of those things that we have to be really mindful of our language and to be looking at you know what are you investing in versus what are you just spending so yeah, yeah. and also as you say to be you know aware of some of the other financial support services that are out there mm. um, that was something that I I looked past I was like oh no I have to do it on my own I have to do it on my own kind of thing but um, yeah, look, I guess I was just lucky enough that it has worked out so far. So <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, I think it's another common thing that you know when you're a high achieving woman and you you have gotten to a certain point in your life and your career because of that, there is that that vein that runs strong in you to kind of I want to figure this out. Yes. And I know this because I have that vein myself. Uh, and it is one of those things that's, that's important that you get to a point where you realise, well, actually, not only do I not need to do it all myself, it's actually probably not good for me or the business to try to do it all myself. And nobody expects you to do it all yourself and to be reaching out to your network and to find, you know, support services, whether it is through a, a business mentor or a coach or a, a virtual assistant or a bookkeeper or a cleaner, any of those things can be things that will free you up both mentally and physically to focus on the, the things that you are actually good at and add the highest value to the business. Most definitely. And I guess just along those lines as well is take time for you, mm. whether it's 15 minutes a day, a couple of hours a week, whatever works for you, make sure you take time for you to look after yourself, again, physically and mentally. Might be a yoga session, might be a coffee catch-up with a friend. 
doesn't matter whatever works for you but make sure you have that time yes and I think potentially someone listening to this who's still working and trying to make this transition might find that amusing because they'll be thinking oh well you know when you're working for yourself you know you've got all this time Uh, and the reality is you can get to a point where you just you forget that self-care sometimes out of passion for what you're doing and enthusiasm and wanting to figure things out and and that also the never-ending to-do list that comes with when you have your own business um so it is something that that self-care and connection element is another factor that's that's a good tip to to share with people yeah definitely I was one of those people that was like no don't have time don't have time Mm. but I make time It, it doesn't have to be a lot but you know even if it's just my coffee first thing of of a morning you know 15 minutes to plan my day and to you know clear my head yeah it it just it makes the day that much better yeah these little routines and organization can make a big difference yeah definitely yeah deb thank you so much for sharing your uh insights around your uh your journey from early childhood teacher to beauty therapist owner and therapist Uh, And I'm really excited for you that doors are back open and you've got very happy clients coming back to see you. And I really wish you all the best in continuing to grow the business. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your podcast. You're very welcome. It was great chatting with you. That's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But before you go, I just want to tell you about a great new free resource If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the top four priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled experience and insights from my over five years in business as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.